No, we haven't got a lamp. What did they say? Nothing. Nothing important. Oh, nothing important. <laughs> and it's happened I heard that time. They want a lamp. Give them a large one. There's oil in it. We used it the last time the lights went wrong. Go on, Horace. You know the one. I don't remember where it is. Suppose you get it, Rebecca. It's too big for me. If you don't know where it is, I'll tell you. You know as well as I do. It's on the top landing on the little table. Do you know where the top landing is, Horace? At least you might believe there is a top landing, although you do believe in so little. It's up there, Horace. Up there. Next roof. Yes, of course, I remember. But I think it's a little too heavy for me. I don't think I could carry it down all those stairs. Why don't you say what you mean, Horace? <laughs> you mean you're afraid to go up there alone? You go with him. Here, take this. I don't know why I bother myself. Do you all go to sit in the dark? are listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. The following podcast contains adult language, adult situations, and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often. You've been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight. back it is they must be destroyed on site episode 211 and uh, i'm your host lee sins that even the devil would be ashamed of russell and i'm joined by my co-host daniel a night like this will set him going and once he's drunk he's rather dangerous harper how are you doing sir i love i just love that description it's just (laughs) that's very apt uh also i'm doing fine yeah, and you don't have any hideous scars on your face either. You know, it's just you know. well, not that the audience knows about. Mm-hmm. I cover them with this uh, magnificent beard. That's yeah, sort of the, the thing. Yeah, <laughs> and you can actually pronounce syllables too. So that's that's a good thing. Well, there there is that. There is that. Barely, barely. Mm-hmm. Our detractors would say uh, not not to our benefit. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> actually, you would be better off just grunting into a microphone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And where's the movie? That's the that's the other that's the, <laughs> that's the other thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, <laughs> pop. Pop. Another Grolsch bottle. Yeah. Fucking yeah. done. Um, I feel like I should. I, I I've got some Oktoberfest in the fridge. I feel like I should go grab one now. Yeah. If you're drinking Grolsch, but you know, mm, are these like fresh, freshly freshly uh, released? Yeah. Bell's Oktoberfest. I sh- saw it in the uh, store this afternoon. So uh, grabbed a sixer, drank two of them already. That's the. Uh, have you That's the uh, promise? I will always show up. I will always show up at least two beers deep. So, have you ever uh, have you seen any uh, pumpkin beers yet in, in the stores? Pumpkin Southern Tier uh, shows up pretty early these days. Um, I used to work in the beer industry, and so I used to work in a beer store for like years and years. Um, mm-hmm. I don't anymore, but it was like kind of one of those things of like, yeah, no, like end of August, you know, or sometimes even early August, end of July, you'd start to see a few Oktoberfest and pumpkin beers. And then by the time October actually rolls around, they're all just gone. You know, you know, people got really upset, but it's a well, that's just kind of how the industry works because uh, 
nobody wants this shit, you know, after after Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> so they gotta sell through they gotta sell through everything, you know. So Yeah. Uh but we're back in nineteen thirty two now. And Which we will be for another couple of episodes, at least two more episodes, I think. So yeah, nineteen thirty-two. We got a bunch of stuff in this year, uh, but we're looking at the old dark hosts and uh, white zombie this time around from nineteen thirty-two. So uh, two little uh, universal horror editions here. But before we get into that, we do have some house cleaning cleaning here. So uh, we get to the comments first off. We have uh, Martin Stone Hennessy on our Facebook page uh, saying. I absolutely adore the old Dark House. I can't believe how good the Blu-ray restoration looks. Have a potato. <laughs> yes. 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 Uh, if you've seen the movie, you'll get the uh, have a potato reference, uh, definitely. <laughs> Moving on, also in the Facebook group, uh, Robert Ward comes in and says, Is it really controversial to say that the Spanish Dracula is superior to Todd Browning's? I think it's the better, too. Uh, when I heard that on the voicemail, I was a little surprised. I thought pretty much everyone who has seen it thought so, too. Forgive me if it was mentioned, and I just missed it, but have you ever seen The Unholy Three? That was another film with a great performance by Harry Earl. I'm a little partial to the remake, 1930, because it's Lon Chaney's soul talkie, but Tom Browning's original from 1925 is good, too. Harry and Lon play the same character in both, and Harry is great as the absolutely nasty character, which is so far removed from Hans. Also, I have to mention this whenever uh, the Tom Waits song is mentioned, but I smiled pretty nicely as I'm actually from Kanakee, which is mentioned uh, in the song, I guess. Uh, and I played a bunch of Tom Waits stuff on that episode. So that's what uh, I, yeah, yeah. I still live nearby about half hours or so, but it, it and its reference to uh, Lydia, the tattooed lady, never ceases to give me a, a little pride. <laughs> okay. Nice. Hmm. Yeah, I know I haven't seen the Unholy Three, so, uh, but you know, it sounds like something we should, we should be revisiting. Um, I also, uh, and this is the, you know, rev- revoke my Tembados card. They're going to be looking for a new co-host, but I've never seen the Spanish Dracula, so uh, can't can't comment. But I have heard that that, that the Spanish mm-hmm. version is better than the English one. So you know, like big I, I, Sorry, I, I have seen. I have obviously seen the English one, but I have not seen the Spanish. So I have seen the Spanish one, and yeah, generally it is better because it is a little less stagey. I just recently, like a year ago or so, uh, rewatched the original Todd Browning's Dracula. And and I actually used to sort of ha- have the opinion of, yeah, I saw it a long time ago when I was young, and yeah, it's really kind of stuffy and, and stage play, and it's more of a romance than a horror film and all that shit. But rewatching, I quite enjoyed it. It's just some of like, the visuals and stuff are really good. There's just one scene where uh, Dracula's coming down a staircase, and there's just this massive spider web. Like, like the corner of the fucking room, and and there, there's a, there's a lot of like really good stuff in it that uh, sort of made me rethink that opinion a little bit. Uh, I'd, I'd say the Spanish one still is superior, but the Todd Browning one isn't. You know, it, it's not like it looks like a dog turd next to it or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? One of the original Universal horror films. You know, what a giant piece of shit that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we have uh, Peter Theobald on our Southern Comfort episode on YouTube. Uh, he said, enjoying your review, and, and he takes that the movie experience was better for you, Lee, than it was for Daniel. Yeah, I think I like Southern Comfort a little bit better than you do, but uh, yeah, sure. we, we, weren't, we weren't too far off. No, no, I wasn't. I was, I was certainly not negative on that. And I mean, you know, sometimes when we're doing the episodes, you know, there's a, it's better if there's a little bit of attention. So sometimes mm-hmm. I'll 
highlight things and kind of like have commentary on them and, you know, just sort of push back slightly if we both really like a movie just to sort of give it something to do. But like, I remember it fondly. Uh, certainly I would definitely rewatch it. If all we did was agree on this podcast, it would be a pretty fucking lame podcast. I definitely <laughs> like, yes, you know. This is also going on here. Apart from Brewster's Millions, I think I've seen every Hill, uh, every film Hill has directed up to 96 with Last Man Standing, which is his uh, Yojimbo remake with Bruce Willis, which is mm. not that good. He said he I've saw, seen bits of that. I've seen yeah. bits of that. Uh, he said he saw Hard Times, uh, titled Street Fighter in the UK, but it was the driver that really kick-started my interest in his movies. Uh, I sort of view him as Peckinpah's apprentice from the time he wrote the script for The Getaway. Oh, yeah. Um, I forgot he did that. Um, no. He's in my mind, uh, carried the torch for action Western movies from then on. He definitely did for a while. I guess classier action in Western movies. You know, there, there, there was, like, 80s was the action sort of decade and he did do some interesting stuff in like, you know, the seventies and eighties, but some of it not as well known as, you know, just anything that was, you know, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger or something like that. Right. right? But yeah, there's, that's the comments. Uh, thank you guys for the comments. We will get into what we've watched, uh, as of late. Um, Daniel did have something, but he forgot. I, I do. I remembered it as, as we were oh. talking still, so, you know, and it's good. And so, uh, if you would like to go first, you can go first or I can, I can go ahead and take mine. Yeah. You might as well go first since I have like a big list here. So, <laughs> sure. I I mean I did I did kind of take a, a little bit of like time to just kind of rewatch some stuff and uh, enjoyed some some movies that I'd seen before. Um, this week or last week actually, I've been really busy this week mm-hmm. and have had no time to do that. But um, I the one thing I really, really did want to mention was the uh, 2010 remake of True Grit, uh, which I saw yeah. in theaters back in the day. And has long been on my list that we should definitely cover at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, have you have you seen the 2010 True Grit? Oh yeah, I love it. I think it's really okay. good. Yeah, no, I think it's it's amazing. And um, I was, I just I just saw it on like Amazon Prime and just went, oh yeah, that'll you know that'll be something to watch the first like 20 minutes of. And if anything, my memories of it from from the theatrical experience, um, which I hadn't seen it since seeing it in theaters 10 years ago. Uh, did not do it just at all, you know, because I remembered really liking it, but my God, this movie is really phenomenal. And I think part of my issue was that I'm also a fan of the original 1970 version, the, uh, yeah. the, the John Wayne version. And I think having that in mind, uh, before, you know, while I, when I saw the, uh, the remake actually made the remake pale in comparison or not pale in comparison but it's sort of like they are very similar movies in terms of like structure in terms of you know you're always kind of comparing the two in your mind but having less memory of the original version while watching the coen brothers version actually makes the coen brothers stand out even more because you know at least for me i'm not like kind of doing the direct comparison thing you know because i think there are things to like about the john wayne version on uh, the maddie williams version or maddie Johnson, whatever her name is, but uh, the Haley Stanfield, you know, Coen Brothers version mm-hmm. is vastly superior in almost every way, and uh, it's actually really fucking entertaining beyond everything else, and is uh, just just a phenomenal film that I think people are not talking as much about as they should be. I rewatched it; it was a very easy rewatch, and in fact, I got finished with it and then put on like Ballad of Buster Scruggs up through the Tom Wiggs sequence. Yeah. 
uh, just as a uh, just as a you know kind of a palate cleanser because I'm like oh I could use another hour or so like the Coen Brothers doing uh, doing westerns and it is uh, I think I think a lot of people kind of fell in love with Buster Scruggs enjoyed that and uh, I think not enough people have have gone back to revisit uh, True Grit in its wake and I think True Grit really does the thing of like proving that they could do something like Buster yeah. Scruggs, you know, um, it really, I've been kind of thinking more and more that I should, I should go and do like kind of a full Coen brothers rewatch. And I haven't even seen every, all of their movies, you know? So, uh, but I think they are, uh, obviously they're, they're, uh, name directors for a reason. Um, and they do get a lot of credit within sort of like film nerd circles, Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that like they don't get that, but it's also like sort of one of those like, well, maybe it's maybe I maybe I have been giving up short shrift for a while. Maybe I should really re- revisit because uh, you know, uh, uh, True Grit was uh, <laughs> really fucking good. And if you haven't seen it in a while, uh, worth a revisit for sure. Yeah, uh, like uh, I think it's near the end where uh, the 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 young girl she she runs into. Uh, I think she 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 goes to like Buffalo Bills. Wild West show or whatever the fuck it is, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and she runs into uh, was it Frank James or something like that, right? And, mm-hmm. she, and she gives him a talking down, get the fuck away from me, basically. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, yeah no, there, there's a lot of great stuff in that movie. I mean, it's amazing. I, I really want to read uh, the the original novel, which is uh, you know really kind of I think it's overshadowed by both. I mean, the original film and now the remake, but um, you know, kind of looking into it, it's like. No, this is kind of recognized as a classic, even at its own time. It's so I think, the, yeah, no, I'm I'm probably going to try to to read the novel, and uh, hopefully we'll do the film one of these days when we um when we get back into the 21st century, yeah. <laughs> sometime yeah. in like 2022, <laughs> we can do <laughs> <laughs> we can do True Grit. No, it's, it's definitely or maybe one, we'll um, just uh, we'll set up like a time tunnel, like a little fucking wormhole, and we'll do both films yeah. on the same episode or something. No, I think I think that'll be I think that'll be worthwhile. Which is always the way I kind of like thought about covering them was do them mm-hmm. all at once. I mean, it is because I think they're both very good, but I think they're good in in different ways, you know. Despite having very like they're very similar structurally, um, and so I think it is an interesting thing to kind of watch them side by side. Um, I don't know, like I I just put it on. I wasn't even kind of thinking like, oh, I'm gonna watch the whole thing, but like I just got invested in the whole like the whole world mm-hmm. that the Color Brothers create there, and it was uh, you know, it's also like Haley Steinfeld is like 14 years old. <laughs> you know, and she's amazing. Like this is this is a world class performance that she's giving, and she is. I think she's actually thirteen when they shot it. It's, yeah. it's amazing, you know. So um, good on you. And then she went on to do Bumblebee. So oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but she's an actress. She's a she's a yeah. perfectly. I mean, you know, she's like twenty three or twenty four years old now, and it has been an actress for like twelve years or something. <laughs> like. <laughs> And she's doing great. It's great. Yeah, so, yeah, that's yeah. what I watch. It's on Amazon Prime, so uh, check it out. A few things here I watch. I watch a bunch of stuff, but I just uh, listed five things here, uh, basically. Um, first one I'll mention is uh, Upgrade from 2018. Uh, this is a Lee Winnell uh, sort of cyberpunk uh, neo-noir film. Um, mm-hmm. about, th- about this guy who um, gets, he and his wife get attacked. She gets killed. He gets paralyzed. This super genius, and this is sort of set, you know, in this near future kind of thing, uh, the cyberpunk setting. He gives him this uh, little computer thing, uh, this little chip called STEM, that if he implants it in him, it will uh, basically fix his spine 
and take over like his take over his motor control and all that. It, it can give him back his motor control, but can also take it over. So whenever he lets the computer take over, he can become this super fucking fighting machine that can like take out dudes and and fight people and shit like that. So he's like, well, yeah, implant it in me because I want to get revenge on these fuckers who killed my wife. And there's this whole other like sort of noirish subplot going on, and there's twists and turns and all that stuff. But it's also got some good action stuff. Like it doesn't break any new ground as far as like cyberpunk stuff goes, but I think the fact that it realizes a lot of cool ideas from like cyberpunk novels and stuff and actually puts them on the screen in a really appealing way is, is kind of uh, to this film's benefit. You know, you got augmented humans, you know, who've got, you know, better eyes. They have guns in their arms where they, you know, they, they actually the dude actually cocks his arm and he actually has like a hole here where he loads like shells into his arm and cocks. Oh, his that's, arm. That's yeah. Uh, and really cool. One of the, the the lead bad guys, he has uh, little nanites, uh, nanobots, that he can sneeze at a person. And the guy, if you breathe in, breathe them in, it kills you. Like they, you know, they mess you up inside or whatever. Like neat yeah. shit, right? As you uh, do, as you do. He yeah. had COVID. He got he had COVID. Yeah. yeah, cyber COVID. Yeah, but yeah, no, and it. At the end, it kind of turns into a horror movie. Uh, it's, oh, it has wow. some nice twists, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was really good. I always want to see like a cyberpunk movie that does with modern technology what people thought in the eighties, like the twenty, like the cyberpunk future would look like. Mm-hmm. So you know, use so so it's that sort of like um, a backwards future, like kind of retro future kind of kind of aspect to it. Um, and I really want them to actually make Neuromancer at some point. I think that yeah. you know, somebody, you know, it's been it's been like thirty six years that somebody I'm, should actually make Neuromancer. But I'm pretty sure Neuromancer has been floating around in script form. Like it has, it has, yeah. yeah. Yeah, almost, almost sensitive. I mean, you know, it was literally like when they were making Blade Runner. You know, like, like, uh, you know, William Gibson actually like visited the set and was like, mm-hmm. "Oh yeah, this is this is this is great." <laughs> you know, and yeah. they were using his ideas from the time. That was even before like Neuromancer was written, and so there is a, like a, like a back and forth aspect to it. It is kind of amazing that like the future caught up with William Gibson to where he doesn't even really write sci-fi anymore. He just kind of writes modern world, but sort of like sidelined or sort of like these kind of fictional versions of things in sort of a modern world because ultimately he just kind of was like, well, I predicted this yeah. <laughs> you know, decades ago, uh, <laughs> which is kind of an interesting place to be, you know, but yeah, um, but yeah, no. Next one I'll mention, I, this is a rewatch, but it was, it's been a long time since I saw it. Uh, it's fallen from 1998. It's the Denzel Washington horror <laughs> yeah. movie. Yeah. It's got, you know, it's got like James Gandolfini, John Goodman, Donald Sutherland in it. And you know it's 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 totally like that's the one where like the goat like the serial killer the ghost of the serial killer gets transferred from person to person. He's a, and Denzel Washington is like chasing the ghost, or sort of. It's it's not yeah. a ghost; it's a demon. Oh, it's, it's, sorry, a demon, a yeah. demon. Yeah. So it's you know it's been possessing people since the beginning of time. The gimmick is that if you kill the body, it's in within the space of like a human breath, how long a person can hold their breath or something like that is like how long it has to get into somebody else's body before it dissipates or whatever. And so, you know, it's the cat and mouse game where the, the, the demons jump into different bodies and like fucking with Denzel Washington and, and shit like that, you know, and it's got this great little uh, sort of motif where the, where the demon uh, sings the uh, Rolling Stones version of time is on my side. So, you know, every once in a while, like, you know, a little, 
little kid or somebody will come up to like Denzel Washington and start going, time is on my side. Yes, it is. And then like pass off into another person and he'll be like, why the fuck you sing that to me? And the guy would know what the hell he's talking about. Cause he doesn't right, remember. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's an incredibly dumb movie. Like it get, gets into all this sort of re- religious hoo ha and stuff that doesn't really make any sense, but I really like it. It's it's just kind of like <laughs> it, it's, it's a really decent horror movie in the late nineties when the genre yeah. was like it started to go up again with Scream, and then it started to go down again before it reached like Blair Witch and started to go up again, you know, kind of thing. So uh, it's worth checking out. I, I kind of think it's worth a bit of a reevaluation. Like it, you know, it's it's not terrible. Uh, <laughs> um, another one I'll mention from twenty eighteen: uh, The Predator which is the uh, Shane Black written uh, and Fred uh, Decker written uh, new ed- addition to the franchise. It's, it's got uh, Key from Key and Peele in it as one of like the mercenary guys who cracks jokes and shit. Like, there's good ideas in this, but it's like one of these films that notoriously got fucked with by the studio and the and, and mm-hmm. behind the scenes. So it's like most of Shane Black. Abuse, I think, also from some of the cast members. Olivia, um, Olivia Munn knew one of the actors that Shane Black hired on who was like a friend of his or something like that, who was actually like, you know, uh, I guess a registered sex offender or something like oh, that. Oh, mostly done, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, there, there, there was some shit behind that, and uh, the studio fucked with the film. Like, it's it's a it's a film with, like, some good ideas, but then it just goes into, like, a franchise, like, slog, where it's like, oh, here's some really bad ideas, here's some really bad writing about kids with autism, and here's some really bad writing about people with mental diseases. Like, almost everybody in this mercenary team has, like, some sort of mental hang up you know and it's like you know movie mental diseases which is just like right like uh thomas jane plays one of the guys and he's got tourettes and you know so (laughs) so of course course there has to be a scene where he he goes up to like olivia and munn and goes fuck your pussy fuck your pussy you know like and yeah great joke guys it's great (laughs) I mean, you know, the fact that it's Fred Decker writing it is is kind of like, uh, you know, well, you know, is there a scene where Wolfman has nards? That's really the only question. That we have. No. Honestly, the the best part of the film is they they rely heavily on the original Predator theme, which yeah. plays a lot in the film. And it's like when that's happening, you're like, yeah, this is great. And then it's like, oh no, they start doing stuff, and it sucks. <laughs> but, right. It's like you gotta, I mean, you gotta love Shane Black in like 2018, being like, you know, remember the beginning of my career? Remember when I remember when the world was young and we were all doing? Yeah, let's just let's just pretend it's still 1987. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that, yeah. Anyway, that that kind of sucked. I, I would recommend nobody really watch that one. Um, yeah. Uh, when I, I mean, I actually really like Shane Black. I think he gets a lot of shit, you know, for for things that aren't his fault, you know. But, oh yeah, uh, I don't. I don't blame. I don't blame Black or Decker. Uh, Black and Decker. I don't blame Black and Decker. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> <We> need... <laughs> Certainly, you are the first ones to think of that joke. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, but no, I, I don't blame them for this at all. Like it, it just feels like producer notes just yeah. like yeah. just destroyed this. And next one I'll mention is 
uh, Blood Vessel from 2019, and this is, um, you've probably never seen this, it was an episode of the uh, show Angel, the vampire show, the spinoff from Buffy the Vampire. Yeah, I, I, know the, I know the show Angel, my wife used to really watch it, but, uh, you know. uh, Yeah, so there was an episode where the vampires, this just, you know, went back to, like, World War II, where they were still evil, and <laughs> and they, uh, and they're hired by the Nazis, so they're, you know, they, they got the Thule occult shit going on and all that crap, and and the whole episode is um, set in a submarine where they and these other vampires are on the submarine and there's some shit going on. Um, this is kind of like an, a take on that, except it's in a Nazi ship instead, but it's kind of sort of the same premise. And it's not bad. Like, it's nothing groundbreaking or anything, but it had really good practical effects. And the the vampire, like the head vampire that's in it, goes like full... Um, Full on like man bat from Batman kind of vampire, like very very cool. I really liked it. Uh, so just worth checking out. It's just a little film from 2019, just popped up. I actually rented it on uh, Google Play and then watched it there. <laughs> of all things to do with your time, mm. <laughs> like, uh, but that was good. And last one I'll mention: Stand Up Guys from 2012. This showed up on Netflix. It's a uh, mob comedy old men last hurrah kind of movie with uh, Al Pacino, Christopher Walken and Alan Arkin. And uh, so Al Pacino gets out of jail. Uh, Christopher Walken's his best friend who's also tasked with killing him before like 10 o'clock the next day. So they, you know, have, they have is moving. It's got to move at least 50 miles an hour. That's <laughs> what, <laughs> but you know, uh, it was directed by Fisher Stevens of all people. And, yeah, you know, and, and the pod Fisher Stevens. I mean the cat. The cast is great. Like you know, you got your leads there. You got like Lucy Punch in this. Uh, uh, Bill Bill Burr playing like a fucking mobster asshole. You know, um, there's a, there's a lot of like good little performances and stuff. Sure. Overall, terrible movie because it has a real tonal shift. Sometimes there's this rape revenge subplot at one point where they <laughs> where they help this, they help this girl like they find this naked girl in the trunk of a car they stole. Oh. Like, oh, yeah, these guys just raped me. Well, fuck, let's go fuck them up. And it kind of turns into a joke, you know, kind of the way it's played right. out. It's the, it's the post-Tarantino gangster flick problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, of course, there's also, you know, uh, Al Pacino was in Also, the hangover was big, like, just a few years earlier. That does feel like a bit of a hangover gag, it's right? Yeah. Too, yeah. yeah. Al Pacino was, what, early 70s at this point? Alan Arkin was probably late 70s. <laughs> Chris Walken was in his late 60s. So, of yeah. course, there's a Viagra joke with Al Pacino downing, like, half a bottle of Viagra. And so he gets a massive boner, which you see yeah. when he's, like, in the hospital bed. And then and they have does a he, does he Does he call the boner hoo-ha? Is he like, I got my hoo-ha! My hoo-ha! No, you know what? They missed out on having this line in the movie. You know, Christopher Walken comes up to him or something and goes, My God, you got a massive erection here. And then <laughs> Al Pacino goes... I mean, I told you I was a stand-up guy, you know? <laughs> I mean, they should have done that, but uh, yeah, instead, it's just like, instead it's just like, oh, we got this doctor with this big needle has to drain your dick of blood in order yeah. to... <laughs> Al, yeah. Al, Al, here's what I'm just saying. Al, Uh-oh. your erection, your erection, Al. <laughs> it's a massive, it's a massive erection, you see, yeah. Sorry, my walking. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not in tune to my walking. But... Walking too. Like yeah. I, I could do some guys pretty well, but like walking, I'm. Everyone else has a walking. Yeah. And, and then it's like I can't do walking to save my fucking life. 
I feel like the key to the walking is just to uh, to, to get the the tone right, to get to get the rhythm right, and yeah. then people get it. But yeah, no. like I can do Michael Caine really well, and yeah. I but I feel like that's a super easy one too. It's like you can just go, yeah, yeah. "I'm Michael Caine. I was in Jaws: The Revenge." Your erection, your erection, Michael. Your erection. Your erection was like the source of my paycheck from Jaws: The Revenge. It was, a, it, was, it was a nice, it was a nice erection. Is all I'm saying. It was a nice <laughs> yeah, I, we, we've gone on far too long with this. We should get into yeah. the movies. <laughs> we should, we should. They're good movies. They're good movies. We have now, we have now alienated our entire audience by yeah. bullshitting so, to this degree. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so we'll uh, take, take a quick, quick break here, uh, play a podcast promo, some music, come back with, uh, which one do you want to do first? Uh, uh, dealer's choice. We'll do White Zombie first. Cool. Ah! How about throwing a little beach party for yourself and letting these people to get to know you oh so better? Hey kids, it's me, your good friend Alistair, here to tell you about a wonderful movie podcast called Get Soft with Dr. Snuggles. What happens is, every two weeks, the love of my life, Siobhan, and I are joined by a cast of friends, family, internet weirdos, and special guests to guide you through the wild and woolly world of erotic thrillers and softcore films. Everything from alien abduction, intimate secrets, to Zarita, Passions Avenger, and all points in between. Check it out now on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's that horrid man talking about?
All right, we're back, and we're going to be talking about White Zombie from 1932, directed by Victor Halperin, um, who would go on to do uh, Revolt of the Zombies from 1936, which is, I guess, considered a spiritual sequel to this, I guess, kind of yep. thing. It's written by uh, Garnet Weston, who did the scripts for The uh, Great Train Robbery from 1941. Uh, William B. Seabrook, who wrote the novel this is based on called uh, The Magic Island, uh, although he was uncredited at the time. God, The Magic Island. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Doesn't that sound a little The world was racist. Remember back when the world was racist? I mean, the world is racist, but remember back when you could just call... The island of Haiti, full of, or well, the island of Hispaniola, but the country of Haiti, yeah. filled with like uh, slaves created by magic. It's called the Magic Island. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, magic island, yeah, yeah. You, know. you just, you just, you just, you just, it just produces sugar by magic. I don't know how it works. It's, yeah, it's I mean, it's certainly not off the broken backs of slave labor. I don't, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> this is not going to come back in a minute, but yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so it's starring uh, Bella Lugosi as, and he's not. Cre- I don't think he's actually his name. I don't think it's credited, like yeah. said at all in the actual film. But he's known as Murder Legendre. We have Madge Bellamy as Madeline Short Parker. Uh, she was also in the Iron Horse that we covered. Yes. We have Joseph Cawthorn as Doctor Bruner, uh, Robert Frazier as Charles Bo- uh, Beaumont, who um, we've mentioned something that we might cover at some point on a sub podcast of this uh, on our Cape shit. Uh, he was actually in the Captain America serial. Uh, oh, forty four. I think he was just like a scientist or something at that point. He was pretty old by that point, right? right. But, well, no, uh, we mentioned covering that on this series actually. Uh, maybe that too. Yeah. 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 Uh, it, although it seems like Cape Shit would be the better place to do oh, that, I think. Uh, John Heron as Neil Parker, Brandon Hurst as Silver, uh, George Burr McCannon as Von Gelder, Frederick Peters as Chauvin, Annette Stone as Maid, John T. Prince as Lido, and Dan Crimmins as Pierre. And we have a synopsis here from Gary Jackson on IMDb. He says, young couple Madeline and Neil are coaxed by acquaintance Monsieur Beaumont to get married in his Haitian plantation. That rhymes. Uh, Beaumont's motives are purely selfish as he makes every attempt to convince the beautiful young girl to run away with him. For help, Beaumont turns to the devious Legendre, a man who runs his mill by mind-controlling people he has turned into zombies. After Beaumont uses Legendre's zombie potion on Madeline, he is dissatisfied with her emotionless being and wants her to be changed back. What, he doesn't want the sex doll version of Madeline? <laughs> he's, not, he's not that much of a scumbag, you know? <laughs> he He's enough to sort of, like, say, well, you know, it would be nice if she would love me, but not enough to be like, well, maybe she should also be able to talk. You know. in, in, in 2020, it's like I'm just waiting for that firmware upgrade where where the where you know it actually you know talks to me while it makes me a sandwich <laughs> and spreads its legs. Um, exactly, yeah. Legendre has no intention of doing this, and he drugs uh, Beaumont as well to add to his zombie collection. Meanwhile, grieving widower Neil is convinced by the local priest that Madeline may still be alive, and he seeks her out. And yeah, that is kind of the plot. It's. Yeah. I mean, this movie is very slight of plot, really. It's more interesting, I think, for the things that are going on in the background <laughs> a lot. No, but. definitely, yeah. Um, is this first time watch for you? Yeah, first time watch for me. And uh, I'll, I'll, you know, for both of these films, I'm just going to uh, just state it here. 
we were going to do these last week, and, and I like had to, you know, I just wasn't feeling well right before recording time, and I did not rewatch these this week. So I'm I'm a little bit watched these a week and a half ago on this uh, on this recording schedule. So uh, apologies if I missed some details, but I liked both of the films. I will definitely highly recommend uh, both of them, and particularly White Zombie. I think there's some really interesting stuff going on. Some really interesting imagery. And some really interesting sort of thematic work. Um, I really appreciated the, you know, the, the thing that you kind of run into with a lot of sort of modern zombie films with, you know, sort of certainly the sort of post-Romero zombie ghoul films or whatever, as much as, as much as I love them is that they do miss the sort of original horror of the zombie myth, which is, you know, that they are labor. Like that's essentially kind of what the thing, you know, and you know, the, the fact that they come from Haitian mythology and, and not even, but what, like the sort of, um, you know, Haiti, I mean, <laughs> what you have to know about like Haiti is it was the, uh, the source of the, uh, the, the very first successful slave rebellion that actually like overthrew colonial masters in which like every white man, woman and child slave owner was uh, annihilated by the local population and uh, you know, we <laughs> certainly we're not advocates of the murder of children uh, on this podcast, but uh, you know, uh, that, that's a historical event. It threw the entire Western world, and by which I mean the burgeoning United States in the early 1800s, because this was 1804, I think 1802, something like that. Sounds um, right. I forget the exact year, but um, check out uh, the Black Jacobins. That's what you. That's the book you want to watch, you know, look look at to uh, for that history, and that has reverberated through kind of Western canon since then. And the original zombie myth was sort of based on, you know, this kind of vision of like, there's this voodoo potion that just forces people to work and, and be, have no brains. And like, where does that myth come from? Well, I mean, obviously it's built around slavery. Um, It's also the fact that like sugar, like the thing that in the United States that uh, the horror of slavery was that it was intergenerational that, um, you know, you could, by people and then they would live long enough to breed and then like produce more people for all the horrors of uh, of american slavery in a lot of ways well it's a different kind of level of slavery but the sugar plantation slavery in in haiti and in uh, most of the kind of the what we now call latin america was uh, actually even worse in a way because uh your your lifespan was about two years like the the labor conditions were just that bad um yeah. and so you were really just bringing people in they would you would work them to death and then they would just sort of then you throw them in the pile and then, you know get more african slaves you know and i think that, that sort of thing the gears of the mill and no one notices i mean it, it it almost is like literally that bad and i say this you know not to avoid talking about the film but i think that like this is very much on the mind of like the, the original zombie mythos is very much sort of about this and white zombie 1932 absolutely gets that i mean there are sequences where you see like People are, you know, like spinning, you know, the wheels of a mill. Like you do get the sense of, well, once you're a zombie, it's not just like, oh, I'm going to go and like kill and eat brains or whatever. As horrifying as that is, the real horror is I'm going to be like put into this horrifying system where I don't even have a mind anymore. I'm just rote labor. And the fact that we also have like kind of people whose we watch their personalities degrade in front of us. We watch them sort of become this sort of like zombified feature and we know what their future is going to be. Like the good version of it is, well, you're going to be a servant in my, you know, household, you know, and you are just going to like, it's a very different kind of horror. 
And I mm-hmm. think it's hugely effective in the film, right? You know, some of my favorite sequences are between, um, I think it's Lugosi and uh, Bo- Frazier as Beaumont. Frazier, who, yeah. Uh, yeah, who, you know, he's given the he's given the formula and you can like watch him and like, there's like, oh, well, you can't talk anymore. I guess that's bad for you. Uh, you know, and, and they have like the like long sequences together and there's, a, there's a real, there's a real kind of like, you feel the loss of humanity there. You feel where that's going. And, uh, I think it's, it's a truly remarkable film and one that really holds up. I think it's definitely one that, I mean, you can sit somebody in front of today and they would, they would get it. And I wish that more, um, zombie films today sort of got like that element of, uh, the original mythos as opposed to just kind of being another retread or another sort of like parody of a parody of a parody of a parody of a retread from a Romero movie, you know? So anyway. Yeah. It's very complicated because all this stuff sort of comes from voodoo and hoodoo, uh, religious stuff, which is a weird bastardization of, uh, you know, traditional African religions mixed with Catholicism, you know, that was sort of, you know, implanted on them as they were brought in as slaves and, you know, sort of, uh, indoctrinated into the actual system of whites, you know, slaves under the under the whites, and the actual the zombie drug. There's other examples of this sort of in modern films, like if you look at uh, Wes Craven's Serpent in the Rainbow, that also sort of deals with this, but it also brings a supernatural, possibly supernatural, element into it. This one actually seems to have some sort of supernatural element right. in the background. I don't know if there's actually documented that this was a real thing necessarily as so much as it's mostly kind of like a, a legend or a myth that sort of spiraled out of control into, Oh yeah, there was zombie powder and stuff, but, it, but like the, you know, people were using the neurotoxin of like this sort of puffer fish that they can find, you know, off the coast of Haiti or whatever. And apparently, you know, it can put you in a near death state. And, and the idea is they bury your body you think you're dead because there's this combination of the fear of becoming a zombie from one of these, uh, one of these, uh, voodoo priests, right? Um, like the idea that they'll take your soul and control you, you don't know it's a zombie powder or neurotoxin or whatever. So part of it is like basically being gaslighted into thinking you're a zombie. Um, which seems like, maybe that's not something that's true at all. Like that's not something that would probably happen, but who knows either way it, like it works as a, as a device for the movie. And, and, and the, and these zombies look great. Like they're, they're, they're just straight on like cabinet of Dr. Caligari kind of zombies, Mm -hmm. right? It takes a lot from that. And I do like that this movie kind of the setup for it is kind of just like the black cat where, Actually, both of our movies are kind of just like the same setup as the Black Cat, where you have you know a young urbane uh, white couple go into a foreign land, basically. Uh, in this case, Haiti, <laughs> and in the next movie, uh, Wales, which you know some would argue is a foreign land. Um, foreign land, yep. <laughs> and you know they're this innocent couple, and they get stranded and menaced by things they don't understand from like the local region kind of thing. Yeah. And so a very, very uh, neat setup. Um, Lugosi here in any other movie, any other guy, it would feel like he's chewing the scenery a little too much, I think. But for some reason, I, and I don't fucking know what it is, but for some reason it just works the way he's doing this. Like, yeah. cause he says very little. He says all of his lines very slowly. It's like, 
you know, and, and, and as he's doing it, he's grinning like he, he's talking about how he can put the, the zombie uh, powder or whatever, you know, in a pinprick, in a flower, or perhaps, you know, your drink, you know, and he, and he, and he just spaces out his lines. He's very uh, menacing. He's got those fucking creepy eyebrows and he's got the, the weird, uh, I don't even know what the hell you would call that kind of a beard style that he has. I don't know if they're yeah, actually. Not, it doesn't quite connect to become the Van Dyke. It's really more the kind of mustache uh, goatee combo. Um, but yeah. It's like a broken Fu Manchu or something like that. I don't yeah, know something like that. Yeah. It but uh, yeah, no, this is really good, man. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, was it your first? Uh, was it a first time watch for you as well? Not, not a first time. I, I I definitely seen it when I was younger. I mean, this has been not always the case, but I mean, in our lives, it's always been available. But this is one that's con- like on all those like fifty movie DVD packs, uh, yeah. right? There, there's shitty versions of it everywhere. But I really enjoyed it. Like you get into the sort of the horrors of the sort of uh, post imperialist kind of exploitation, you know, oh, the, the white slavers are gone, but now you have, like, these um, religious lunatics and stuff, like, using the populace in the exact same manner for their for their own gain, uh, you know, and so you get the zombies as a free labor force, um, I mean, you know, sure, the odd one falls into the sugar mill and gets grinded up or whatever, but uh, it's still largely cost-effective, I guess. Uh. <laughs> well, and you can imagine a 21st century version of this, you know, because Haiti is, is you know, the you know the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and that is not a knock on the Haitian population. Yeah. That's a knock on the fact that, you know, uh, France made them spend 200 years, like, <laughs> you know, like yeah. repaying debts based on the fact that they killed the slave owners in, 18, in the early 1800s. Uh, but you can imagine sort of like a, a, a sort of modern version in which like a kind of wealthy uh, white couple from the West, from either Europe or America, you know, uh, show up and I'm like, oh, we're going to go. We're going to see the sights. And like we're very carefully like avoiding seeing all the like rampant poverty. And then suddenly they run into like, oh, there's a sugar mill where people are like being. Yeah. And I mean, you can imagine this, you know, that you could tell the story today, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. And even have that kind of like weird love triangle of, you know, and, and I mean, you know, again, this this could easily be remade today. Yeah, easily. You probably couldn't call it White Zombie unless you played the uh, Dolores O'Riordan track over the uh, closing credits, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, you could probably do it in like Mexico now. Would be yeah. like a contemporary way to do it. I think. Well, I feel like doing it in Haiti would be the 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 clear. I mean, you know, Mexico would be sort of the that that'd be the cucked out way to do it. Ultimately, <laughs> you know, that would be the you know. Let's not do let's not do the real version of this. Um, you know, well, I could definitely. But you're right. Like, uh, it's certainly like there's a lot of like sort of that Eli Roth stuff from a few years ago. That sort of would would play into yeah. uh, to to that kind of you know, but I wouldn't want to do it that way. I want to play it almost as like a melodrama with the horror sort of underneath. You know, right, right. There's, there is a lot of interesting things going on here. There, there's still a lot of like kind of racist shit in this too. Yes, uh, <laughs> it's 1932. Let's let's be honest. Yeah, it's 1932. I can't remember the circumstances, but it's the the, the woman disappears. I believe it is, and it's like you don't think my my wife is in the hands of the natives, do you? She, she, she'd be better off dead than that. that that's <laughs> what a terrible fate. Like, that, that's a circumstance that sort of shows up here. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, you mentioned there, there's this love triangle going on here. And um, some of this drama stuff, 
again, this is this, this feels like the black cat in a way. Uh, a reference back to that words. I don't really care about these people's relationships so much. I'm more interested in like the zombie workers. I'm more interested in Lugosi's performance where he legit seems to have like mind control powers. He does that that cool shit with his fucking hands where, you know, he clasps them and yep. stares intensely. And like, so he obviously has, or at least he believes he has some sort of mind control powers where he can uh, like legit control these zombies brains and make them do things, which is uh, pretty neat. I like the visuals, that fucking graveyard where it's all up that hill, which just seems like that must've been a bitch to like bury people in. <laughs> And I mean, it's even got mausoleums in it. Like, it, it's got graves all up it, but then it's also got mausoleums dug into the side of the hill. But then you have, like, these scenes of him leading his zombies up the hill and stuff like that in silhouette, which just looks really, really cool. I like that. This film just, out of nowhere, at one point, like, just uh, does this interesting split-screen shot. I think I think it's when uh, the husband is, is looking for his, uh, looking for his uh, wife, and she's now uh, captured in uh, Legendre's castle, and and it's, so it's that big. He's he's walking up to that big map painting there, you know, that's going on that looks beautiful. And there's like a split screen shot where he's down in the on the shoreline, and she's up on like as a zombie up on like a balcony looking out. And then it does a composite shot, and then it has like some fun wipes going on too. And it's like, oh, just yeah, just throw that in out of nowhere. Just just throw that in for <laughs> You know, like, just just do, do, just do some great cinematography right here in front of me. Yeah, sure, fine. It, it really stuck out because a lot of this doesn't feel too. It, it's not necessarily a, a fancy shot mm-hmm. film. Like it's very kind of low budget, kind of like you know, just matter of fact kind of thing. And and then all of a sudden it just throws that out of nowhere. It's like you know, the director's like, I'm going to get my shit in. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing one good shot. That's what's going to happen. No, yeah. uh, it, it does look good. I mean, I think that I think the film. I mean, it is effective. But you're right. I mean, it is it is kind of like flatly shot and edited. I mean, it, it looks like a film of its era. Like you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. you know it doesn't stand out. It doesn't really uh, you know it doesn't it didn't look cheap to me. But it, it definitely looks like you know it's it's a it's a film made for the thing that it does the thing that it does. Yeah. Yeah, it's also only like seventy minutes long. It's so you know, not a lot goes on, right? It's it's yeah, just, just. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not like talking more about sort of the details of, of what's happening in the film. Mm-hmm. I found the, the 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 and not the cinematography, but sort of the the stuff in the background, the stuff like the themes and the ideas and sort of the the general uh, gist of it was more interesting than you know, kind of the the details of like the particular characters. Um, you know, yeah, kind of, you know. And I mean, it, like, it, like a lot of the characters end up being kind of fairly generic. Like, oh yeah, there's the pretty girl, there's the industrialist, there's the you know horror movie monster guy. There's a, you know, like it's it's yeah. sort of you know it's it's a little bit paint by numbers, but it's it's very effective at doing the thing that it does. Um, and in particular, in the way that it it is kind of highlighting this like legitimately kind of horrific thing, <laughs> you know, in, yeah, yeah, in the world, you know, so. Yeah, the yeah the zombies the zombies look neat. Some of them are you know actually most of them I guess like especially the ones that Legendre sort of keeps around him as a sort of inner circle of zombies are all like enemies that he <laughs> changed into zombies. So like there's a backstory there somewhere yeah, where yeah, yeah. he sort of rose to power kind of thing. And and that real monstrous zombie that he has who you know. The, the big strong man with the weird eyebrows and shit. Yeah. I like how one of his hands is almost skeletal. And then you can tell it's just like a painting job to make it look like his bones are more protruding or whatever. But 
very well done. I, yeah. I like that. Yeah, so, and I do love that they are like kind of his former enemies, and you get the sense of like you know, well, this guy he he rules by an iron fist, and the way that he does that is mm-hmm. magic zombie powder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You kind of wish for a more uh, fleshed out story, kind of, but yeah, whatever. I mean, it, it it's still a classic. I I like it a lot. I I highly recommend it. I mean, and again, and this is one of those. In another gear, this would be a shoe in for best of the year, right? You know, uh, we just it would be up there. Of, we've just watched a lot of great stuff, and it's hard to kind of like put this right on that top tier from from all the other stuff that we've watched. But I'm not saying it's not on my top ten of the year. I'm just saying like it's 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 uh, you know, it's it's going to be kind of in that lower reaches if it doesn't make it. But uh, it's definitely definitely worth a watch if you haven't seen it. It's it's worth it. You know. Yeah, uh, I I think I watched this either on. Um, on Amazon or on YouTube, I can't remember. Um, there's um, there's about a million versions of this in Old Dark House on YouTube. Uh, you can get all the shitty versions, and you can get the restored version of this too, which is pretty beautiful. Like it, very very well done restoration. Budget for this was fifty thousand dollars. The zombie theme of White Zombie was inspired by, but not based on, the Broadway play by Kenneth Webb entitled Zombie. Uh, Webb apparently sued the uh, producer and director here, the, the Halpern brothers, for copyright infringement, but not, did not win his case. White Zombie did a lot of shooting at rented Universal Studios and set props and furniture from classics like The Cat and the Canary, Frankenstein, and The Hunchback of Notre Dame can be spotted by astute film fans or nerds. Uh, <laughs> yeah, how dare you? How dare yeah. you? Yeah. Uh, and this was only shot in 11 days, and there is an alternate version. And I mean, basically, if you if you watch the restored version, you'll you'll get these scenes back into it. But like for the longest time, some of the stuff is cut out, and those are sort of like the versions that you see in sort of bad prints all over the place. But uh, the scene where the zombie is crushed by the grinder after falling into the chute in the factory is gone for most available prints, and also um, oh. <laughs> Uh, there, there's a computer, there's a computer colorized version of this apparently, which I'm, it's like, uh, why? Why? Um, yeah. But uh, also, uh, this, this, you know, this is pre-code, so a little risque for the time. Oh, yeah. The scene in which Madeline is preparing for a wedding and she's with her two maids or whatever, and it was censored in some prints because Madeline is shown in her underwear, which, oh, it, well, and her underwear is like the size of a fucking gown like she's wearing you know like super risque for 1932 but she's showing her ankles oh my goodness oh my goodness <laughs> yeah but uh yeah that, that's uh pretty much it i think this movie was lost for a while like it was considered lost and- yeah it's kind of i was looking at the uh, history here when i was uh like just prepping here right before we started and uh it did have this kind of brief period in which it was kind of lost but uh, yeah. rediscovered decades ago, so it has been, you know, um, it means I think that the copyright is kind of, you know, iffy on, on parts of it, so. Right. And, and I will say, like, just, just finally, like, if all if all you're familiar with is, like, the really shitty-looking versions on those, like, 50 packs of movies and shit, do yourself a favor and just go on the YouTube and, and look for the uh, the restored version yeah. and watch that. It, it's actually really good. It's, it's it is. Really it good. is. It's definitely worth. It's definitely worth it. I mean, you know, if you, I never saw the shitty version. I only saw the good version. So I don't know. <laughs> but I can't imagine you know, like seeing a sh- you know the shitty like you know like freebie version that was you know based on a print that <laughs> it's just for sixty <laughs> years or whatever. 
Um, yeah. So, uh, but but yeah, no. This is the both of these exist in, in very good prints uh, if you hunt for them just a little bit. So definitely check them out. Yeah, and so we're going to take a little musical break, and we're going to come back and talk about the old dark house. You ungodly warlock. It was a zombie jamboree Took place in a New York cemetery It was a zombie jamboree Took place in a New York cemetery Zombies from all parts of the island Some of them was a great Calypsonians Although the season was carnival They get together in Bacchanal And they're singing back to back Belly to belly, I don't give a damn I done dead already, oh, back to back Belly to belly at the zombie jamboree. I hear you talking back to back. Belly to belly, don't give a damn. Done dead already. Oh, back to back. Belly to belly at the zombie jamboree. One female zombie wouldn't behave. See how she jumping out of the grave. In one hand, a quarter rum. The other hand, she knocking conga drum. The lead singer starts to make his rhyme. The zombies are rattling their bones in time. One bystander had this to say. It was a pleasure to see the zombie break our way. And they're singing back to back. Belly to belly, don't give a damn. Done dead already, oh, back to back. Belly to belly at the zombie jamboree. I'm going to talk to Bridget Bardo. I tell her, Miss Bardo, take it slow. All the men think they're Casanova when they see that she's barefoot all over. Even poor men out in Topeka find their hearts getting weaker and weaker. So I go ask her for your sake and mine, at least wear her earrings part of the time. And I'm singing back to back, belly to belly, don't give a damn. Down there already, oh, back to back. Belly to belly at the zombie jamboree. A lot of world leaders talking about war, and I'm afraid they're going too far. So it's up to us, you and me, to put an end to catastrophe. We must appeal to their goodness of heart And ask them to pitch in and please do their part Cause if this atomic war begin They won't even have a part to pitch in And we'll be singing Back to back, belly to belly Don't give a damn, done dead already Back to back, belly to belly at the zombie jamboree I hear you talking Back to back, belly to belly Don't give a damn all right, The Old Dark House from 1932, uh, directed by James Whale. You might have heard of this uh, gentleman. Might have, uh, might have heard of the, a whale of a director, I would say. A, l- a little bit, a little bit of a Moby Dick in his uh, field. Uh, director of Frankenstein from 1931, 
The Invisible Man from 1933, Bride of Frankenstein from 1935, and a shit ton of other stuff that was not horror. Pretty long career. This was <laughs> one of the one of the great horror directors of all time. You know? Yeah, you know, he's done um, some stuff. One of the great directors of this era. You know, like you know, made a couple made a couple of decent flicks. Ultimately, yeah. Mm. What a surprise! What a surprise! <laughs> this one was uh, also this one was also good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Uh, written here by uh, J.B. Presley. It's ba- basically based on his book called Benighted from 1927. Uh, also written by Ben W. Levy and R.C. Sheriff. This is starring Boris Karloff as Morgan, Melvin Douglas as Pendril, who um, actually went on for, he had a really long career. Two things I know him from, uh, two really good ghost movies from the 1980s, The Changeling and Ghost Story. Hmm. Which where I, I one of them I think was his last I think um one of those ones I think was his last last performance as far as I can remember. Might have been Ghost Story. Ghost Story in eighty one is his last uh film. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there we go. Um Charles Lawton is a Sir William Porterhouse. Uh you might know him from Spartacus actually, is this sort of he played the fat guy in Spartacus. That's that's what he did, yeah. <laughs> You know, the fat Roman, the jolly fat Roman in Spartacus. That's good. Plays Porterhouse here, plays the jolly fat Roman in Spartacus in 28 yeah. years. <laughs> <laughs> now, all these people actually had, for the most part, pretty long careers, but... Uh, uh, yeah, which is nice to see. You don't see that a lot. You know, normally, mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, let's watch a movie from 1933. Everybody's dead by 1937. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lung cancer, 1939. Oh, shit. Um... <laughs> It was like the one person who lived really, really long. They made it all the way to 1947. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Lillian Bond is Gladys. Uh, Ernest uh, Thessinger as Horace Fimm, and he was also in uh, Bride of Frankenstein and The Ghoul. And uh, I think he's kind of the stand-in for James Whale in this film, by the way. I'm pretty sure. Um, Eva Moore is Rebecca Fimm. Raymond Massey as Phil Waverton, uh, Gloria Stewart as uh, Margaret Waverton, and you might know her as the uh, elderly version of our uh, female lead in Titanic. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, from 1997. Um, Elspeth uh, Dugin as uh, Sir Roderick Femme, as John uh, Dugin in this, I guess. Um, and Brimber Wills as Saul Femme. And we have a synopsis here from IMDb from Doug Cedarberg, seeking shelter from a pounding rainstorm in a remote version, a remote region of Wales. Uh, several tra- travelers are admitted to a gloomy, foreboding mansion belonging to the extremely strange Fem family. Trying to make it the the best of it, the guests must deal with sepulchral host, sepulchral host. I don't know. That's a word I do not know. Uh, it looks like yeah, Sepultura, but uh, I don't know. Uh, creepy. The creepy host. Horst Fimm oh, and his obsessive... Should have said creepy. Should have said yeah. creepy. Malevolence in his obsessive malevolent sister, Rebecca. Things get worse as the brutish manservant Morgan gets drunk, runs amok, and releases a long pent-up brother, Saul, a psychotic pyromaniac who gleefully tries to destroy the residents by setting on fire. You gave away the whole plot, Doug. <laughs> like, that that's actually the mystery in the film, really. That is, like... Is there is there actually any danger in this film? That's that's kind of that's kind of the uh, yeah. suspense that's built. But um, 
I assume this is also first time watch for you. Yeah, first time watch for me. Is it first time for you? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, <laughs> this movie is really fucking funny. Mm-hmm. And I, I I love that. Like I, it was one of those where you know I was. I think I found this. I, I don't remember exactly. You know, I was you know I was kind of like picking titles from you know from a grab bag essentially. Like you know what what else from 1932, and I don't remember what sort of like uh, I think maybe for, from Karloff or maybe from uh, Gloria Stewart or something. You know, I just sort of found mm-hmm. it and uh, put it on the list, and then you know we're kind of going through and it's like oh horror comedy. I'm like oh well you know horror comedy from 1932. How how much can you expect? And it's like. Actually, this is really, really fucking good. This yeah. is something that you know. Um, it is. It is kind of like an expected thing, and I've and I've kind of said this before. And this is kind of my own bias and some of this stuff of like you know, well, how how funny can a movie from nineteen thirty two be? And I said, well, this funny. This, yeah. you know, it's, it's it's very funny. Um, it's also kind of one of those things where even like you know, I think we get this like kind of stereotypical idea that uh, films from this era just don't sort of like they're not self aware enough to sort of be able to you know, match up with 21st century sensibilities. And this, like, absolutely, I mean, this is, you know, not to rag on a lot of the shitty, like, zombie comedy stuff, but this this is better than, like, 99% of that. Oh, yeah. Like, this is, know. like, uh, this is a total send-up of, like, just typical, you know, gothic horror. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's incredibly well made. Um, I love the, uh, I love the relationship uh, between... Uh, Gloria Stewart, uh, Margaret, mm-hmm. and then her her sort of like lame husband Philip, who is <laughs> you know like definitely not uh, you know not not a little light, possible little light in the loafers as they would have said at the time you know, <laughs> and then the the kind of like growing relationship with is it Lawton is it is it Porterhouse that she's dating or is it Roger it's Roger she's dating or like uh, so I forget which character is which. Um, it's Porterhouse and is it? Yeah, no, I'm confused. But it's it's Porterhouse and his uh, quote unquote girlfriend come in, right? And then and then it's Melvin Douglas. No, not Melvin Douglas. It's Waverton, right? Right. So it, so no, actually actually no no Porterhouse and a chorus girl, Gladys Duquesne, Lillian yeah. Bond. Yeah, they and come. In. Those are the ones who kind of become like a couple in the middle of the film. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm not sure at all. I'm pretty sure Porterhouse is the uh, is the uh, chubby dude who comes in with the with the call girl. Right, right, right. And then it's uh, and I think it's I think it's Waverton that's the uh, no 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 it's it's Pin, it's Melvin Douglas is uh, Pendrel. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I I am so we are not doing this any justice at all because <laughs> the problem is that it's been like a week and a half since I've seen yeah. it and there are two couples that are all kind of uh, anyway there's a chorus girl who's like really awesome <laughs> she's really funny and she's adorable and then like she starts hitting on this guy and they end up being like the big romantic couple and that's like the big thing that I kind of took away from the film in yeah. addition to sort of the horror elements is like, oh yeah, that's a fun little relationship right there in the middle well, of the film. Well, you, I, well, I mean, the way it sets it up, right? It, it, it sets it up right. that our, our Wavertons are going to be the, uh, they're going to be the main characters. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But, it's, but as soon as you introduce this romance and the Wavertons come with their buddy who is uh Pendrel, And yeah. when when he meets the call girl, they actually become the main couple in the film and the story moves to them. And like, it, it not only forgets the Wavertons, 
it kind of forgets the uh, Fim uh, siblings as well, the the brother yeah. and the sister, who are the you know the basically the the heads of the house here. Um, so yeah, the movie kind of like really drastically changes like halfway through almost. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, so you get like this initial sort of you know almost kind of a manor house sort of you know like this very traditional structure of like oh, there's a couple, and we're going to introduce the people, and we're in this kind of gothic horror house, and, like, a bunch of creepy shit's happening. Yeah. And then, like, halfway through, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. There's the slut and her boyfriend. We're just going to follow them around for a while. <laughs> and they're way more fun. Like, they're going to go off and smoke cigarettes, and basically, like, you know, we can't quite show this in 1932, but these two totally oh, fucked. <laughs> there's, there is a great joke. There is a great fucking joke in this film where I was like, I know James Whale was like, yeah, I know you put this in here on purpose. I know you, 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 you funny gay man, you, you knew what the fuck you were doing here. They, you know, they get all cozy and then they go out and hang out somewhere like out in the rain where, where they're getting right. wet. And then they come back in and she says she got her feet wet. And I'm like, that's not all that got wet. <laughs> that's not all that got wet. That's right. They say, I was just reading the uh, Wikipedia summary. They're like, yeah, let's go. There's some whiskey in my car. Let's go get some whiskey. Oh, yeah. That's the that's the thing that you're doing. You're going to get some whiskey from the car. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, esta- it's established all Fim has in his house is gin. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. I have is, it's just gin, but I love it. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. You you can't you can't get you can't you can't have drunken sex on gin. It just doesn't you know you gotta have some whiskey. Yeah, no whiskey does work better. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, and then there's there's this kind of intergenerational thing kind of happening with the family, and you don't quite know if there's like sort of like really something happening or if it's just sort of like a bunch of creepy shit. Like you really and then. You run into this like hundred and five year old ancient patriarch, you know, towards the end, and you know, like, yeah, it, it is kind of funny how it how it just sort of plays on sort of the even at the time existing tropes, yeah, and sort of just highlights all that stuff, and then just kind of gives it to you piecemeal, knowing you're going to follow along because, like, yeah, all this is pretty generic horror stuff, like, and we're just going to throw it at you, and you kind of understand. And I mean, again, it is. Very similar to something like Scream, which, you know, sort of relies on you sort of knowing the tropes so it can just kind of lay it at you. It doesn't really have to set it up all that well. And so it's allowed to sort of then just kind of have fun with it and let you just sort of like come along for the ride. And I think that's why we're sort of missing, or at least I'll, I'll, you know, I'll speak for myself. This is why I'm sort of missing some of the plot details on which character was which because I'm just kind of reading the summary and looking at the cast is going, that's the one? Is that the person? No, no, that wasn't right. I was wrong on that. And it's because like it it doesn't it doesn't ask for it doesn't ask a lot for your attention. Um it just allows itself to just sort of like tell yeah. its story. It kind of gets in and gets out. And it's just fun. It's super, super fun, you know. And I mean, again, same same problem here. I didn't rewatch uh at all this week. So it's like, you know, uh, it's a little bit back in my memory now. Um but yeah, this this in in a way it is kind of a scream of its time where it is self-referential. Um, it's it's and if you want to look like to the closest sort of analog to this, I think though is like you go like forty years into the future and you get like you get um, Adam's family and the monsters kind of thing. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Uh, yeah. Very very much crank this this the cranked up version of this where it's like you know we know all the jokes now. 
and we're going to do them every week, but you're going to like it because Morticia and Gomez are incredibly uh, attractive characters, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> and they're totally in a kink relationship, and that's, that's going to be great, you know. It is funny. It is funny, like, how much, like, Gomez and Morticia Adams are, like, you know, if you if you look at sort of, like, the way that people sort of, like, view relationships and, like, what's your kind of modern relationship, Gomez and Morticia Adams, like, people are like, oh, yeah, they loved each other. They're such a great couple, and they're such a great couple – you know, like that's what people kind of took away from that. It's like, you know, yeah. How? Do, where do you have to go to find like an actual like loving married couple that just adore each other? It's like, oh no, you have to go to like you have to literally find like the monster movie version of like that's supposed to be sort of satirical in nineteen sixty five. You know, when in reality, it's like, no, no, this is this is actually legit. Like this is a thing. Yeah, no. Yeah, uh, yeah. I almost want to do like an Adams Family podcast now, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's if we don't have enough to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I was watching this and I was just thinking Adams Family, like uh, both. You know, it's got the comedy, it's got the horror tropes running underneath. Yep. There's actually no real threat of anything, although uh, the movie doesn't let on that there's no threat for a while. Definitely, like it, it, yeah. it makes you think, shit. When's Karloff just going to like start strangling people to death? You know, like you, you kind of think that's going to happen. <laughs> But it never does it. It never gets that far. Like, Karloff gets into, like, some drunken sort of scuffles with the three Uh uh, males in the house or whatever. But, I mean, the interesting thing about this film is it it is slight and it never really goes hard in any of these directions. But it touches on class relationships, Mm -hmm. touches on homosexuality, because, I mean, the... The chubby dude who comes in with the call girl, I think he's obviously gay. I think right. I think it's I think it's pretty well coded, and I think our uh, the the male fem um, sibling, like I said, I think he's standing stand in for James Whale here, kind of like he yeah. very uh, he's got the he's got the sort of cliched gay affects in his character. Then it also touches on mental illness. And it also touches on uh, religion, superstition versus non-belief because the two femme siblings, one's an atheist, which is pretty much declared from like the first line. Uh-huh. And uh, but you have the uh, Bible banging sister who is also underneath it all. You can tell she's kind of really jealous over the two hot chicks who just walked in here with their nice clothes and hot bodies. And you could tell she kind of regrets not being able to do that. Cause she also kind of mentions, like they mentioned, they have a dead sibling who was like a, she was a real slut who died real early, you know, kind of thing. And she talks about it a lot, like way too yeah, much. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Something's on, clearly something's on her mind. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. yeah the slutty sister. Yeah. She died. She died for sure. Natural causes, natural causes, for sure, natural causes, yeah. And even though, you know, by the time you get to the end of it and you're like, okay, this is this is pretty much strictly a comedy, and even though we've built up some suspense, it feels like it's going to flatten out a little bit and we're going to be all right. Then you get the reveal of the brother they keep locked up upstairs, Saul, who is this psychotic pyromaniac. That's a great performance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, honestly, that's the best performance in the film, as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Um, he, he just he projects like menace at one point, and then like calm at the other. Like he he, he comes out as like a feeble old man, and he's this small guy. But then he's you know, then all of a sudden he just 
he, he finds a knife on the floor and picks it up and the giggles a little. And I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> uh, oh, oh yeah. This is this is this is where this is where we're going. This is where we're going now. Yeah, no, I get it. No. no, there's a lot of good stuff in this. I, I really like this. Uh, I was yeah. I was pleasantly surprised by it. Yeah, no, and and you know, again, I was kind of expecting like, oh, horror comedy, like this will be, yeah, it'll be cute, you know, whatever, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, no, it's 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 very good. I I only regret that I didn't get to like kind of cover it last week when it was a little bit fresher in my mind. Could have, yeah, you know, kind of dug into it a little bit more. But I mean, I think both of these films are, you know, like they feel very modern in their sensibilities, and I think that that's sort of the thing that the pre-code films actually sort of have going in general. Mm-hmm. Is that they often sort of have this quality of like, yeah, this was sort of what they could do before like decades of censorship, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, no, very, very effectively done, and you know, definitely worth checking out for for a modern audience. I mean, everything would have been wiped out of this film, right? Had it been postcode, I mean, you you wouldn't. Yeah, have I mean, to... you really couldn't. You could you could barely. I mean, you couldn't. I mean, how do you even do the comedy? How do you do like anything to, in this film? Uh... Like, it becomes. It becomes like this, like really stilted character drama because you can't do, like, you can't mention the sex, you can't talk about the, like, the slutty sister, you can't, you know, like you you can, you can barely do anything. It just becomes like it, it becomes super generic ultimately. You know? Yeah, you do uh, Keystone Cops, yeah, kind of shit, right? Like, or uh, what's what comedy duo at the, of the time that did a bunch of movies? And I'm, I'm blanking on it right Abbott now. And they, Costello, Abbott and Costello meet the fucking Wolfman oh, or whatever yeah, the fuck yeah. you do that, right? <laughs> yeah, just imagine like the paramaniac brother like running, chasing two of our leads into one hallway, and they come <laughs> out the other door, and then they like hit the, and so they do the the what is it the laughing Scooby Doo, Scooby Doo, you know, uh, you know. Uh, comedy routine, you know, like with Benny Hill music underneath it. That's what this movie would be, yeah. Yeah, and that would really disappoint me because if you're going to play the Benny Hill, you got to see some fucking blouses get ripped off. Uh, otherwise, no, I'm just yeah. not in for it. I'm, like, I'm not yeah. going to do it. Well, I know I did it. I hummed a little bit of it, and uh, just for you now, I will take off my shirt just so you can. Uh, well, all right. That, that will suffice. Yeah. Okay. So, budget for this. And I kind of believe it because this is shot really well too. Like it, yeah. it, it looks really good. Two hundred fifty thousand so. dollars. Yeah, and uh, James Whale was. I mean, this is like post post Frankenstein. Yeah, and so presumably James Whale is able to sort of command. Like this is more of an A list picture, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so like, and it and it shows. Like it looks great, you know. I mean, and a lot of what you see with a budget. I mean, particularly this time, and it is kind of. I don't know, maybe we get a little bit spoiled of stuff, but, like, the, the production design is, like, kind of top tier here, you know, and they have mm-hmm. the ability to, like, take their time and shoot stuff in a more, you know, with different camera angles and shit, you know? Like, they have the ability to really, to not just like, kind of do the, like, faux proscenium staging and just sort well, of, I mean, like, and that's the thing, you know? I mean, they, they they ran that fucking rain machine and fan like the entire production, it feels like, because it's constantly going. Like, there's no soundtrack to this. It, oh, yeah, it's, yeah. All, it's all just background noise. It's just, you know, diegetic background noise, of the, uh, the rain and wind. You know, you, you get instances where they're either getting rain just pouring on them nonstop when they're outside the house, or they had, like, the struggle with Karloff's character, uh, who gives a great physical performance here, by the way. Like you, you can tell it's like, okay, he did Frankenstein's monster. We'll do a similar thing with him here. Doesn't get to say anything with, you know, and I'm, I'm glad he managed to like finally 
get out of being typecast as that kind of right. thing, right? But here it's obviously like, oh, he did the Frankenstein's monster. He can do the the mute idiot butler here who's drunk all the time and, and goes violent. But um, they, you know what I want to see now? I want to see. I want to see like not a remake of this movie. I want to see a movie like a modern movie that's made about the production of this movie, and it's about the people who are running the wind and rain machines outside. <laughs> <laughs> and like, they're like, and, and they have like some sort of horror comedy plot that's happening in the midst of shooting this film, you know? And then they're what telling is- jokes about like, you know, and then like, Oh, that actress, she's totally a slut, you know? And it turns <laughs> out that like the nun in the movie is actually the one who's like sleeping around behind the scenes. Like, yeah, sorry. I just, I just, uh, I just did a, I just, Proposed a movie. Hey Hollywood, call me. You, you want to do the Shadow of the Vampire version of this, where Boris Karloff was actually a scarred up monster who, <laughs> right. who when he gets drunk, murders people. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. <laughs> Wasn't that just true? Wasn't that just true? <laughs> <laughs> well, depending on what decade you asked Lugosi's opinion to Karloff, maybe that was true. Yeah, fair uh, Karloff, that limey cocksucker is not good enough to smell my own shit. Or whatever the fuck he says, <laughs> fucking Ed Wood. So we have some uh, some trivia here, and I actually intended to watch this, but I didn't get a chance. But um, and I didn't know this existed at all. But uh, Columbia Pictures, William Castle Productions, and Hammer mm-hmm. co-produced and remade this film in 1963, which is um, why this film's kind of a lost film for a long time too, because uh, the copyright was moved over to the 63 version. Oh. And so no one could play it anywhere, um, the the original version. But uh, they did their own The Old Dark House, and this version was not broadcast on television until 1994. <laughs> wow. Yeah. This was Bar- Boris Karloff's first credited starring role. Uh, his name had been left off Frankenstein. In a 1988 interview, Gloria Stewart recalled that Boris Karloff ran back and forth across the stage to achieve the desired effect of being out of breath. Uh, she asked him, can't you just fake it? And he said that wasn't the way he worked. And apparently this is the movie like broke up the uh, relationship between Karloff and James Whale. Apparently Karloff mm-hmm. was just a dick on this uh, fucking set and they fought all the time. Uh, so Whale refused to work with Karloff for the Invisible Man. So Claude Rains was hired instead in 33. So apparently it was going to be Karloff and the Invisible Man. Uh, first that would have been that would have been a very different invisible man yeah i don't know if that works honestly yeah, like well. claude rains um i mean i guess if that's the version we had we would get and go that claude rains fucker what the fuck <laughs> you know well, <laughs> fuck that on, guy. is great of course call off is great you know? <laughs> uh Invisible man seven feet tall yeah that's that guy yeah <laughs> Um, imagine if Lugosi played it. As soon as he spoke a line, you could actually see him. I mean that he, he lays his he lays his performance on that thick that he he physically appears when he talks. You know, <laughs> uh, the Invisible Man. We we know he's here because suddenly pieces of the scenery disappear whenever he speaks. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, as I sort of mentioned when we were doing the, the credits here, if you had, might, might have picked up on this, uh, the actor that plays the elderly father, Sir Roderick Femme, is credited as a man named uh, John Dugin, but is actually played by Elspeth uh, Dugin, yeah. who is a woman. And, I mean, if you watch the film, it's actually kind of obvious. Like, it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a chick. 
that's a chick talking. They didn't. They, they should have dubbed her voiceover with with an old man's voice or something. But whatever. It's it was nineteen thirty two. They had very fluid ideas of gender at that time for hundred and five year old people. I guess they did. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it's James Whale. Maybe it was. Maybe it was. Secretly. I mean, James Well, James Well might have. I mean, this might have been a little bit of intentional subversion on James Well's part. I'm perfectly, oh, think... I'm perfectly willing to acknowledge that and think it's good. So, you know. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, I honestly, both these movies are kind of subversive in some yeah. of the stuff they do. So, I mean, Definitely, yeah. yeah. Again, um, it's the pre-code. It's it's you know they're out there. They're I mean, yeah, yeah, this, this is Hollywood. They like to fucking suck. It's just it's Hollywood. Come on, what do you want? <laughs> So, uh, what are we doing next at 32? Are we doing the... Um... I think we're doing uh, I'm a Fugitive from a Chain Gang next week. Okay. Unless you unless you want to do a couple of Marlene Dietrich films. I thought I figured we'd do I'm a Fugitive from a Chain Gang and then do Marlene Dietrich. But, you know, sure. me, man. All right. I'm a Fugitive from a Chain Gang. That's what we're doing. So, tell people where they can find you on the interwebs, Daniel. I'm on Twitter, at Daniel Lee Harper. Uh, you can find me there. Uh, I also do another podcast about uh, Nazis and terrible people. And uh, right now I'm doing some uh, intellectual dark web dipshits. Uh, no. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it's uh, I don't speak German. Uh, I don't speak German. com. I can't imagine anyone doesn't know this podcast at this point. If you like, I can't imagine someone tuning into to episode two eleven of this podcast and going like, "Oh, I've never heard of this. I don't speak German podcast." You know, but you know, yeah, go check it out. That's what people do, though. Like they'll 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 check out a podcast. They'll check out like the latest episode, right? Right. right and right. although I mean. The, the reality is about like a hundred times more people have heard of that podcast compared to this one at this point. Yeah, that's, so. I, mean, you know, this, I don't like, that's fine. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying like they should know that podcast first. I'm just saying like, if, if you found me through this podcast, I can't imagine, like, I don't know. Like, it's just kind of a weird it's thought. You know? Possible and probable. Yes. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I think the audience is coming this way and not the other way, but you know. It's yeah, fine. exactly. Yeah, and I welcome every one of you lovely people uh, and enjoy enjoy the break from listening to Daniel and uh, and his uh, co-host Jack talk about really horrible things and uh, listen to us talk about really cool things. Yeah. Um, yeah, and if you'd like to uh, get more involved in that, you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com, where you can find all of our links to Apple Podcasts, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, you can find the email address on there if you want to send in an MP3, you know, voicemail kind of thing. Leave a comment there or just leave it on the Facebook group, whatever you want to do. But uh, we do have the ability to play MP3s live now and respond to them. So if you want to do that, that's always fun, and we'd love to have them. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. Uh, but until next time, uh, we are going to get the fuck out of here and, uh, uh, dig up some zombies and, uh, hang out in a house with a bunch of old perverts and, uh, um, f- fuck some chorus girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fuck some chorus girls. Probably do that. Yeah. I don't know if I want to marry them. I mean, <laughs> that seemed a little, it was pretty, pretty quick. It was like, I want to marry you. It's like, okay, I guess it's 1932. That's probably how they did it. But Yeah. Well, <laughs> she wanted to put a ring on it. It was just a cock ring. That's what she wanted. Like, <laughs> like show me your Prince Albert. That's what. That's what she was. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we're gonna take off. Uh, thank y'all for listening, and we will be we back. Are a when very we're- serious movie podcast. We are like absolutely so serious. Down the line. <laughs> 
listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>